Rogues Gallery Uncovered Bad Behaviour in Period Costume A non-judgmental excavation into the scandalous lives of history's greatest libertines, Lotharios and complete bastards. This podcast contains adult themes and a touch of colourful language. If this is likely to offend, please crouch beneath a sturdy table until help arrives. Nero's Golden House Party with Emperor Nero Claudius Caesar Augustus Germanicus. The following tale is written in the present tense of the period in which it's set, and as such may contain attitudes and opinions of the protagonists and their times which would today be considered unacceptable. As I'm not a hard-partying ancient Roman, these opinions are obviously not mine. Rome, AD 67 Whose idea of a party was that? What a complete waste of time. I thought it would be like one of those old Bacchanalian do's, before they got outlawed, you know, flowing rivers of wine and lots of juicy coupling. But no, I'd have had more fun hanging out with a bunch of Christians, and you know how dull they are. I mean, you don't get asked to one of the Emperor Nero's gatherings every day, especially not at the Golden House. I was well excited when I got the invite. Do you remember four years ago, during the Saturnalia, when he threw a party for the whole city? I had food poisoning, so I missed it, but I heard that he handed out gold pieces to every citizen, ordering them to spend it on nothing but pleasure. There were boats full of prostitutes anchored out in the reservoir, arranged in order of age, sex and specialities. My mates spoke of nothing else for weeks afterwards. One of them could hardly walk. At the end of the day, the Emperor put on a wedding dress and married some bloke called Pythagoras. Then the two of them vigorously consummated the nuptials for everyone to see. That's how you throw a party. Of course, after that, everyone was calling Nero a born entertainer, and I was determined not to miss out on the fun a second time. I feel like a right fool now. I'll tell you one thing though, that Domus Aurea is one hell of a place. It makes your villa look a bit shit. It must have cost Nero a fortune. Imagine the biggest palace you've ever seen and then cover the walls in gold. It's like a little city on its own set in 125 acres of land, stretching from the Palatine to the Esquiline Hills, all sprawled around this huge man-made lake. To get there, you've got to walk through luscious private gardens full of fruit trees, pasture lands full of farm animals, vineyards full of grapes, and wheat fields full of, well, wheat, obviously. There's even a private zoo full of, well, Jupiter knows what they are, but the creatures are from all over the empire. They reckon Nero emptied the entire city's treasuries just to build it, and this right after the big fire. That was his opportunity, you see. With all the buildings on it burnt down, he confiscated the land from the aristocrats who owned it and then got an army of builders to work night and day for four years to complete it. Apparently, when his funhouse was finished, Nero said, Good, now I can at least begin to live like a human being. Bear in mind that he's the Emperor of Rome and he'd hardly been spending his time beforehand living in an outhouse. I wonder what a freedman who'd just seen everything he owned go up in flames would have said in reply. Nothing if he valued his life. 
You know, I thought the Emperor might be a bit flash when I rocked up the mile-long colonnaded pathway to the entrance and saw this 120-foot-tall bronze statue of him looking down on me. His Colossus Neronis is perched on a bloody grep plinth that's taller than two men on its own. I mean, who needs a 120-foot statue of themselves? Compensating much? Actually, though, it looks a little bit like the sun god Sol, so if the Senate ever want to reuse it once Nero's dead, that might save them a few sesterces. Anyway, the closer I get, I realise that some of the walls aren't just covered in gold, but in precious stones too. I thought, this is going to be a good night. Like the time Caligula turned his palace into a brothel and then declared himself a god. I wish I'd been to that. So, I walk in and the feast is in full swing. Everyone's busy tucking into stuffed sow's wombs, peacock tongues and roasted dormice. As is usual at feasts like this, you're expected to gorge yourself until you can't eat any more and then puke into one of the special bowls that the host leaves lying around. After that, you can get stuck in again. I tell you, if it wasn't for those bowls, the front of my toga would look like a mosaic floor. I always feel sorry for the poor slave who's got to crawl around with a cloth mopping up after those who fail to reach them. Of course, at a normal feast, you might make your excuses and then pop to the lavatory in order to throw up your ostrich eggs, but the Golden House doesn't have any. 300 rooms and nowhere to have a crap. There are huge baths, however, where you can relax in water heated by underground springs and brought directly to the building by aqueduct. But in a palace full of drunken food-stuffed people with no toilets, I'm not really sure how much fun a dip in one of those would be. Anyway, with all the tinkling fountains and fragrant pools, I had to keep popping outside myself, apart from on a couple of occasions when I just used an empty wine jug. There are no bedrooms either. Even Nero doesn't sleep here. The whole place is dedicated to partying, and not an inch of it is wasted. Not even on kitchens. All the food is prepared elsewhere and then carried in. If I had to sum it up, I'd say that it's basically a two-storey palace of endless dining rooms, in a state of permanent celebration. Most of these rooms have got inlaid ivory roofs which have sliding panels built into them. Every so often these panels open up and you get sprayed with perfume from little sprinklers or showered with falling rose petals. I didn't mind the floral smell but after a while I couldn't see what I was eating because it was covered in bloody plant life. The bloke lying next to me said that at one party so many rose petals fell from the ceiling that some poor bloke got smothered in them and suffocated. I'm not sure I believe him though, he was a bit pissed. But the best room in the house is the Coenatio Rotunda, the main banqueting hall. It's this absolutely enormous circular building covered by a massive dome. The dome is wide open at the top so as you sit there you can see up to the heavens. The weirdest thing is though that while you're sitting there eating, you begin to notice that the room is ever so slowly rotating. It's turning constantly, day and night. Apparently, the whole building mirrors the exact movement of the sun and the moon. It's brilliant, but I'm not sure how it all works. The floor itself sits on these rolling stone balls, so I suppose that's how it can physically move, but as for what actually does the turning, well, your guess is as good as mine. I assumed that it was cranked by slaves, although I did hear someone say that Nero had special canals built under the floor, so maybe the turning mechanism is powered by flowing water. Either way, it's bloody impressive. So I'm sat there, 
trying really hard not to get dizzy and marvelling at all the architecture. I thought, it won't be long, then the fun's going to start. But it was all bloody poets and musicians and actors, and I'm like, where are the whores? Now, I know a lot of people who don't live in Rome think we spend all of our time having orgies. You and I both know that's complete rubbish. Group sex isn't the done thing in houses of quality, although if I'm visiting a brothel and some extra girls or boys want to share my couch to join in the fun, I don't say no. Who does? But I thought because Nero was artistic that he'd at least be a little bit decadent. I should have stayed at home. The emperor, right, stands in the centre of the room and instead of getting his kit off, like you or I would, he starts playing the bloody liar for five hours. He thinks he's some kind of heavenly musician who packs out amphitheatres. Well, I don't know much about art, but I'll tell you this. He shouldn't give up his day job. When it's finally over, I think, right, here we go. But then he starts reciting poetry, and he's an even worse poet than he is a liar player. He's not daft, though. He had all the doors locked so nobody could leave. Talk about a captive audience. You know, I've heard that one woman forced herself to give birth just to avoid having to sit through one of Nero's poetry recitals. Several otherwise hale and hearty men have pretended to collapse and die just so they could be carried out. After a few more hours of poetry, I certainly felt like giving that a bit of a go, I can tell you. Anyway, suddenly the whole room begins filling up with pretty girls and boys who start mingling and flirting with the guests. The prostitutes. At last. In a bit of a daze, I selected one of each and was just settling into an alcove for some private time when Nero shouts, The sun is setting. Come and see how I illuminate my garden. I didn't really have much choice, so I tucked my mentula away, fastened my tunic and traipsed off outside. At first, I thought that the bundles of sack tied to wooden posts were some kind of rustic decoration. Then, one of them started sobbing and begging for mercy, and I realised that they were actually Christians, rolled in tar. Well, you know how much Nero hates Christians. He blames them for everything, which I think is a bit unfair. Not that the Roman mob gives a toss. Give them a scapegoat to blame their shitty lives on, and they're as happy as Pan. Anyway, Nero clapped his hands, and all the torches were lit. I'll be honest, the fires certainly brightened up the garden. You could see to read if you wanted to, but the screams of the men and women burning to death kind of spoiled the effect for me, so I went back inside. I suppose I shouldn't be surprised that Nero's got a bit of a cruel streak. He poisoned his aunt with a fatal laxative and kicked his pregnant second wife Poppea to death just for complaining that he was home late from the races. I believe that was one kicking that deep down he always regretted, and I'll tell you why I think that. When he married his third wife, Messalina, after forcing her husband to commit suicide, mind you, he found a feminine-looking lad named Sporus, who also looked a bit like Poppea, and he married him as well. That was the second time he'd done that, only this time Sporus wore the dress. You've got a feel for the lad, though. Nero had him castrated before the wedding, so he'd be even more like his ex-wife. That said, the big day was quite the public celebration. Not sure how much Sporus enjoyed it, though. So anyway, I go back inside and I try and get my two companions to give me the seeing to which, by now, I so desperately need. Out of the blue though, one of them, the woman I think, starts going on about Nero's party trick. Apparently, if an evening isn't as much fun as he thinks it should be, 
He covers himself in animal skins and has himself locked in a metal cage. He then has Christian prisoners, obviously, tied to wooden stakes in front of the cage door. Then he starts growling and snarling like some kind of wild animal and when he's worked himself up into a right old state, one of his slaves unlocks the cage and out he bounds on all fours. If you're one of the Christians, you might think this behaviour a little weird, perhaps even a bit funny. But then he sinks his teeth into your nethers and savages your genitals till they're nothing more than bloody scraps. That wipes a smile off your face, I can tell you. I guess he's reenacting how the law uses real wild beasts to execute condemned prisoners. Very artistic. Then he has you killed, obviously. Well, by this time, the mood was well and truly spoiled. Even a cartload of Vestal Virgins and a couple of gladiators couldn't have got me warmed up. So I made my excuses and left. I don't mean to be disrespectful or anything, but Nero really is a bit of a twat, isn't he? He's, what's the word, a narcissist. He has to be the absolute best at everything, even though he's clearly not. Everyone knows what he's really like, but they're too scared to tell him. I know I am. You know, he went to Greece last year to compete in the Olympics because, as he says, he's such an amazing athlete. He awarded himself nearly 2,000 gold medals, even though he was so bad at chariot racing, he fell out at the first bend. I'd give him the benefit of the doubt if he threw a good orgy but he's so up himself, he can't even do that. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if he's forced to commit suicide one day soon when the Senate finally has enough of him. That's one party I certainly want an invite to. Outrageous as it is, much of Nero's appalling reputation needs to be taken with a pinch of salt. Most of our accounts of his arrogant and sadistic behaviour comes from Roman historians Suetonius and Tacitus, both of whom were writing over a generation after he died, and another called Cassius Dio, whose work dates from even later. All of them were trying to please their political masters, and at the time in which they were writing, it was in their best interests to malign the Julio-Claudian dynasty of which Nero was a part. Now, he was undoubtedly an arrogant braggart capable of extreme cruelty, but then so were many Roman emperors. There is evidence to suggest that while some in the elite classes found him objectionable, a large proportion of ordinary citizens, particularly from the provinces, thought he was great. Some ancient graffiti found in Athens proclaimed him a god, I recently went to an exhibition at the British Museum that aimed to redress the balance a little bit and suggest that perhaps Nero wasn't the monster that history's painted him. We'll never really know for sure, as very few accounts written at the time Nero was alive, or indeed that supported him, survives. One thing is for certain, Nero most definitely didn't fiddle while Rome burned. For a start, fiddles hadn't been invented. And at the time, Nero was actually 35 miles away in his palatial pre-Golden House villa. As for the Golden House, it's become a byword for ostentation since it was rediscovered in the 15th century. Apparently some little Renaissance shepherd boy fell through a hole in the hillside and then found himself in Nero's dining room. If you visit Rome, you can still explore part of it today, in small groups only. Lyre and poetry recitals are not encouraged. Next time on Rogue's Gallery Uncovered, Hey Nonny, it's the Love Doctor.
Join Elizabethan England's randiest medical man as he makes some codpiece bursting house calls with Dr. Simon Foreman. If you've enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to follow or subscribe, and it would be brilliant if you feel so inclined to give it a high rating or a nice review. Get in touch and let me know what you think of the podcast, and if you have any suggestions as to rogues you'd like to hear me feature, then I'd love to hear from you. You can find Rogues Gallery Uncovered on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, or just visit roguesgalleryuncovered.com. There's lots more roguish content there, and you can sign up to my newsletter and become a lovable rogue. That's all for now. See you yesterday.